This is Go Forth, a podcast about entrepreneurship and connection made by a sisterhood of creative women. I'm Amanda. And I'm Amelia. And we're from Forth, Chicago. Today we're talking with Alia Dalal. Alia is a personal chef, a clean eating coach, and a cooking class instructor. She also hosts a food and drink web series called Nightcap, where she interviews movers and shakers in the Chicago food scene. Her work embraces the abundance and joy of nature while prioritizing health and wellness. Thank you for joining us so much today, Alia. How are you? I'm doing good today. We have a nice sunny Chicago day. You do so many things surrounding food and wellness in Chicago. Can you give our listeners a rundown of your projects right now? Yeah, so I lately have started to define what I do as being a health and wellness chef. So I do now a combination of different things. I teach cooking classes at a couple venues in Chicago. I recently started hosting a TV show on WGN that's food-focused. I consult to food companies trying to create healthier products. I do some writing and some personal chef services as well. Awesome. What originally drew you to working with food? Yeah, I grew up eating probably like three different foods yeah. <laughs> and like two, one was like Nutella, one was chocolate pudding and then probably like wheat thins crackers. You know, I was just grew up eating a lot of processed food. My parents are amazing and they're actually both in the medical profession. My mom is a nurse and my dad is a pharmacist, but I grew up in the eighties and nineties where it was just a totally different food world. You know, it wasn't this awareness about really this relationship between food and health that was a part of mass culture. But I think my parents did give me a couple gifts in terms of my like interest and relationship with food. One is that they both came from humble backgrounds. My mom is from like a more rural Southern family. My dad is an immigrant from Pakistan. And so it was very much a family that was like, this is what's for dinner. You know, you pack your own lunch, you wake up and make yourself breakfast. That there wasn't really the opportunity to be super picky about food or really to diet or any of those things that would just not really be accepted in that type of home. And then another gift that they really gave me and my sister was we lived in the suburbs of Chicago, but they would take us into the city to eat at like all different types of restaurants. So we would go to Greek town, we would go eat Persian food, we would go to Devon Avenue, and we were going to like really simple family owned places, you know, and you can see me now, I'm five feet tall, my family's very small, you know, probably <laughs> me, my mom and my sister would like eat an entree. So it wasn't that they were giving us these really extravagant dining experiences, but I think it kind of piqued my curiosity in other cultures. And food was really my first way of exploring that. It was really, I think, this this idea of food and eating and using your body to experience another culture, just really understanding that other people didn't have my life or grow up the way I live or, you know, go through their day the same way I did. And then after college, I really began to get interested in this relationship between food and health, especially kind of in opposition to how I grew up with it in that more traditional medical setting. You know, we would go to the hospital all the time to visit my mom or, you know, I was really used to that. And then you see the food that was in hospitals and it's jello, it's chicken cutlets that have been cooked for six hours. And kind of in my early 20s, I had this realization, like, how are people supposed to get healthier eating that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I started considering getting a master's in nutrition or a master's in public health. And really what I came to realize is that it's not so much that we don't know 
what to do or what to eat, but that we have a hard time implementing it. And I actually think more chefs should be standing up and leading Americans to, you know, learn how to eat and work with real food. And so I felt really drawn to the chef profession. So with this connection between food and health and learning how to cook and make healthy food for yourself, a big phrase right now is clean eating. And one that I know I've seen you use in some of your work. What does clean eating mean to you? Yeah, so I think kind of the beauty and the struggle with that phrase is that people can kind of take it and have it mean anything. You know, clean eating can mean like just chicken and vegetables. It can mean eating totally vegetarian. So I actually do a whole umbrella of public cooking classes under that phrase. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of it was just I work really closely with my students and my clients. And so I might have an idea of class I want to teach or an idea I want to get across and then I pay really close attention though to what they're asking me for and what they're looking for and I found that at least right now I really like this like clean eating umbrella because I think it really emphasizes what is on your plate rather than what's left off of it and so the way I define that is just trying to help my students and myself eat a diet mostly of whole plant-based foods. So let's say 80%, I'm not really a quantitative person, so I don't really like, you know, numbers and calories and all of that stuff. Um, But thinking about, you know, what's on your plate rather than vegan kind of implies, you know, this isn't there, that isn't there. You know, paleo implies you can't have this, you can't have that. Mm -hmm. So whole plant-based foods. And if you want to add, you know, a piece of bread, a few slices of like organic chicken, whatever it is, you know, you're still building your meal on whole plant-based foods, which is really going to just help you feel your best and also has kind of uh, environmental and political ramifications as well. Mm -hmm. So many people, when they think about what they're going to eat, have all of these insecurities and vulnerabilities and stress surrounding that. So how do you navigate that in your work? Yeah, I think when I start working with clients, I think that they have often like a couple barriers that I feel like I have to break through. And a lot of people have fears associated with food or changing the way that they eat, Mm -hmm. uh, which probably applies to a lot of other disciplines too. You know, people have a lot of fear embarking on something that's unknown. And I think with food, people are afraid that it's healthy food is going to taste bad it's going to be expensive or it's going to be really difficult. And that's not even kind of touching maybe some other issues around food that we can get into. And so I think with my classes and my branding and my newsletter, that's something I've really tried to tackle is that I want to break down those fears. And so one of the reasons I love teaching one-on-one cooking classes is because I can really warm through a lot of those fears for people. Like my classes are super energetic and I get really excited about things. And so I think immediately, you know, that fear of, oh, this is going to be, you know, this isn't going to taste good. This isn't going to be fun or what I'm used to. We can kind of break through that. And then too, just with more knowledge, I think we can kind of break down those other fears that eating healthy has to be more expensive. For the average person, in some instances, it's going to be cheaper. Packaged food is in some instances cheaper, but often more expensive. I think a lot of things surrounding we talk about food and price and how we spend money on food there's this idea that we don't want to spend too much money on food that there's this like notion of scarcity that comes into how we relate to it your approach really centers on like more so abundance and wellness through food how how do you think about that 
Yeah, I love that word abundance, like just in general, like, you know, having an abundant life, but also related to food. Because I think when you start to think about it, we think of abundance implies a lot, but it implies a lot of something good. You don't talk about an abundance of Cheetos in your house, you know? <laughs> it kind of implies natural and growth. And, and two, I think when you have an abundance of something, your instinct is to share it, mm-hmm. you know? And I think some of those emotional issues that sometimes people have around food of overeating or eating in excess or binging, you know, these are sort of negative terms we associate with a lot of food, but... A lot of food is like a a beautiful thing, you know, and I think if you can really embrace that term abundance and connect it to happiness and sharing and natural and bounty, it's just a really, really positive way of looking at food, which I really enjoy. And then I think even politically or culturally, let's say, we also have this idea that there's not enough food in the world. You know, the population is growing and we need to grow more food. We need GMOs. We need to make the cheapest food possible. Mm -hmm. And the truth is that we actually grow a lot more food today in the world than we need. Mm -hmm. Kind of depending on which different sources you look at, I won't like quote one exactly, but it's anywhere from like 30% more food, 50% more food. Mm -hmm. And so we're not really in this crisis of not having enough food. The biggest issue is distribution, people's own access to food, their ability to grow their own food. It's more sort of political and social issues and it really doesn't have to do with food production. And so I think a lot of our efforts to tackle hunger and nutrition and all of these really serious issues around food can somewhat be misguided because we are approaching it from this scarcity mindset that's just not based in fact. And that's not to say that these issues aren't as serious, but Mm -hmm. it's a very different issue to tackle when you're talking about, you know, how do I get this square footage of, you know, GMO corn in Illinois to grow that much more (laughs) to feeding a population that might not have roads to get good, good food delivered to them or might not be empowered enough to be able to grow their own food. Amelia here. In my conversation with Alia, I started to think about all the ways that food has nourished my life. One of my favorite writers, Rebecca Solnit, wrote about this in her book, The Faraway Nearby. There she says, Cooking is likewise a mode of transformation and a pleasure to which I often repair, and it sometimes seems so pleasurable because it's the opposite of writing. It engages all the senses. It's immediate and unreproducible, and then it's complete and eaten and over. The tasks are simple, messy, fragrant, and brief, and success and failure are easy to determine. Perhaps it's that cooking operates in the realm of biology, of things arising and falling away, sustaining bodies, while writing tries to shore up something against time, and in the course of doing so, appears only slowly and takes you away from the here and now. Now, let's hear a little bit more from Alia. How has this kind of emphasis on abundance rather than a scarcity mindset impacted your work life? So not just your relationship to food and your work with food, but your relationship to work, your work itself. Yeah, my my work life is definitely abundant. If you were to look at my Google calendar, it's just, it's abundantly filled with appointments. I 
partially it's just when you're an entrepreneur and like we mentioned at the beginning of the interview, you know, I do all of these different things and I do have this really strong need to help every person who comes to me. So sometimes those might not always be like the best for my business or should I go to this office of two people and give a talk? Well, they want me to. So I am definitely in this stage where I am saying yes. Um, in some instances, yeah. maybe where I shouldn't, but I also have this mentality that I feel like you use everything. Like I actually started off my career before I went to culinary school. My degree is in writing and music. And I worked in arts nonprofits. I've worked at an art college for three years doing communication in New York City. And one of the benefits of the job was that I could take two free art classes a semester. And I am not an artist, like, at all. And I've never taken art classes or been able to do anything like that. But I was like, I get, I love education. So I'm like, I get two free art classes. So I took painting and I took graphic design and I took, you know, Photoshop and all of these things. And... In some ways, they have no direct applications to my life now, but in other ways, I use Photoshop all the time for my business. Mm -hmm. I am still not a super visually driven chef. I wouldn't say that like plating and composition are some of my strong points, but they would probably be that much worse if <laughs> I hadn't done that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the same for like connections that you make or when you go and do that office talk that has two people, you know, mm -hmm. I'll get a call maybe four years later from someone who heard about that talk. And so I think it is something, you know, you want to balance with your life. And probably as I, you know, I'm 31 now and I'm about to get married, but have no children. Like my, my work and my life are very blended. So I'm kind of happy with that abundance, but of course there may be stages where I, I need to rein it in a little bit. Yeah, definitely. That ties nicely into my next question, which is... You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Perfect. You set me up. How does being a woman impact your work? I think in some ways that's kind of a tough question to answer because I can't really... I don't know. I think being a woman in the culinary field is something that's definitely... Like, it's a thing. You know, mm -hmm. it's like women in comedy. Like, how do you do it? You know, how are you a woman chef? And definitely in when I started my career in more traditional kitchens, I kind of knew immediately that I wanted to work for myself, partially because I had this interest in food and health. So working mm -hmm. as a line cook in someone else's restaurant is not really setting me up for that. You know, yeah. none of us really go to, to restaurants to eat the most healthful food. So that was part of the reason I knew I wanted to, to get out of it. But kind of the other reasons is yet traditional kitchens aren't necessarily the most friendly to women. In terms of a couple things, I was actually never in a situation where you know, people were like open and hostile to me or mm -hmm. anything like that. Many situations I was the only woman or one of two. Um, but I also worked for a female chef. The first restaurant I worked at after culinary school is called Anissa in New York City. And it was run and owned by a woman named Anita Lowe. She's a, a pretty well-known chef. She's on mm -hmm. Top Chef Masters and things like that. And Anissa actually means woman in Arabic. So we had a lot of women in that kitchen. But restaurant life in general is not really conducive to, say, family life in the future, mm -hmm. which is something that affects women a lot more. And certain tasks, too, just my uniform never fit. 
because I'm, yeah. you know, you, you buy, they buy everything in extra large because that can fit everyone, sort of. <laughs> one, one size fits all never really works. And so even things like that, just trying to physically move and not really knowing if I'm going to catch on fire because my chef jacket is so big. Yeah. I would say certain things like that were maybe minor struggles, but I definitely feel like your particular self and body and the way that you appear to the world is always going to have some advantages and some disadvantages. Mm-hmm. And I actually feel like being a friendly, smiley, young-ish woman helps me in my current career because mm-hmm. I think compared to the stereotypical like Mario Batali type of chef, like people want to come up and talk to me and ask me how to cook something. Or I think I have that approachability mm-hmm. that... Sometimes we as women hate being approachable um, in social settings, but I think if you're a business owner, you know, and you're, one of your objectives is to help people, being approachable is really important. And there's many ways to do that that don't involve being a woman, but I think I've just sort of learned to, to capitalize on some of the things that maybe have harmed me in other situations, like being taken seriously in a Michelin star restaurant kitchen mm-hmm. that I now think of as advantages. Who are women at the intersection of food and health that you really admire? I would say there's a lot of people. There's a lot of people I follow on social media or newsletters, things like that. A couple of my idols in the space, Rebecca Katz is a woman who I think of. She has written a number of cookbooks. I actually started off my business cooking for a lot of clients who were going through chemotherapy and a lot of cancer patients. And I cooked for a lot of people with autoimmune disorders, things like that. So my interest in food and health was more on, I don't want to say the medical side, because that's not quite true, but definitely more interested in health in that sense, rather than like posing in a sports bra on my uh, Instagram (laughs) health. And not to say that there's anything wrong with that, but Rebecca Katz is kind of a a pioneer in that category. She wrote a book called The Cancer Fighting Kitchen. She's written a number of books and she's had kind of a long career in this space. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of other women who I follow too, who have blogs and maybe are chefs or kind of a blend. Um, Sarah Britton from My New Roots has a fabulous blog and very beautiful and really gets into like holistic nutrition as well. And actually another Chicago-based woman who I really admire is Dawn Jackson Blattner. She's a nutritionist and has done written books and done all kinds of different things, but she is really focused on this fun and like easy aspect of food that I think is really great for those people who might see something like my new roots that's like you know beautiful and paragraphs of description and I think I try to occupy this space in the middle that I want Mm -hmm. to you know be true to my knowledge and my culture but also like make it fun without having it be like super dumbed down and I think all those women who I mentioned really occupy a great space within that spectrum. I love my roots. My last question is just kind of kind of a fun one. What's a meal that you've made or eaten that just like brings you a lot of joy when you think about it? I I mean I love dining out like for that reason because my home cooking, I actually cook a lot, which I think maybe won't surprise some listeners, but if some anyone is a chef or knows chefs, they actually might be surprised by that answer because the sad part is like this abundant chef life. A lot of people don't end up cooking for themselves because Mm -hmm. if you think about, you know, if you work 
in an office or work in a studio and you're you come home at seven you don't feel like cooking imagine if you spent all those hours cooking for other people you would probably also not feel like cooking so I actually do cook a lot but my style of cooking at home is very simplified my fiance has nicknamed the meals I make depression meals uh, based on (laughs) stuff that his grandma used to do that's just very depression era style cooking where I'll take like four things saute them it'll be like chickpeas and you know whatever green we have left over and you know Mm -hmm. ginger and tamari and I just saute it all in a bowl it takes like 10 minutes he gets to eat as much as he wants so he's happy but it's just very like simple and it's not Mm -hmm. necessarily like a recipe I would publish or something I would want to go on you know a morning show and talk about but it gets the job done and when you know how to work with food I think that's really a lot of the goal that people have is to be able to just open your fridge, make something that's helpful and that tastes good and just be able to serve it fast. So I think the flip side of that is that I really do appreciate very well, like thought out intricate meals that are a little Mm -hmm. bit more the style that I first started cooking when I was in restaurants before Mm -hmm. I started my own business where each component is cooked separately, maybe over the course of like two days, mm-hmm. and everything has all these different layers. So I don't know that I can point to a single meal. I mean, some of my favorite spots in Chicago, um, I live in Logan Square, which is possibly a requirement to be a chef in Chicago. But Lula Cafe is one that I think of a lot. One of my favorite weekend routines is um, going with my fiance to Longman and Eagle, which is also in our neighborhood. And we go to their Sunday donut shop and they, they change the donuts every week. And we just have like coffee and tea and we split a donut. And that's like, we stay there for two hours. It's like our Sunday routine and it's so simple, but I just love that feeling of just like sitting and enjoying something like new and having your place and sitting there for two hours, which probably mm-hmm. the restaurant hates. Um, <laughs> but I think that's something that like, yeah, gives me a lot of pleasure mm-hmm. is some of those fancier meals that get my creative juices flowing. And then just that like mm-hmm. Sunday shop, even though I'm the wellness chef and I'm telling you that like a donut is, brings me so much <laughs> pleasure. That's, it's just very true to who I am that it's, you know, it's about balance and abundance and yeah just getting pleasure from a lot of the different things that you do yeah that's great thank you so much for joining us i love this conversation yay well thank you for coming (laughs) go forth is a project of fourth chicago a community focused on connecting creative entrepreneurial women through seasonal events panels workshops and more find show notes for this episode at fourthchicago.com slash podcast And be sure to subscribe in iTunes to receive each interview as it's released. Thanks to Chicago Band, Tiny Fireflies for the music. And until next time, find us on Facebook and Instagram at 4th Chicago.